You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Great to see you all in the house of the Lord today. Those of you joining us online, we welcome you. Church, let's put our hands together and welcome everyone joining us online right now. We pray the Lord is with you right, right where you're watching. Uh, even if you're still in your pajamas, I just want to say, uh, just maybe feel a little bit guilty that you're still in your pajamas, but not a lot guilty. Go ahead and let a, a move of the Spirit right where you are. Uh, it's easy for us who are in the house, as more and more of us come back, to forget about the people who can't be here. But whenever I get a report of the people who watch, I'm always humbled and amazed at the people, literally, surprisingly, uh, all around the world that actually watch uh, our service. And I'm always humbled and I, I always want to uh, say to you that we, we want God's blessings upon every one of you. We want you to have the fullness of what God uh, has uh, in your life. If there's any way we can help you, connect you with the church where you are watching, whatever we can do, uh, we want to try to do that. Amen. Uh, some people who I haven't seen before are back. I saw Sister Shirley Bradley is here this morning, first time in over a year. She's one of my favorite people in the whole church. Uh, you want to know why? Because I know from her family that every time they watch someone else preach, she always announces that they're not as good as her pastor. So I just pray the blessings of the Lord upon you. Uh, everything from health, strength to winning lottery tickets in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles 6, verse 18, Solomon is praying a dedication of the house he has built unto the Lord. Uh, this is a very important moment in the worship life of the house of Israel because the people have decided to consecrate a house unto the Lord. Uh, they do not have a theology where their God would be limited to the house they have built. In fact, uh, the children of Israel have a theology that says the heavens, even the heavens, cannot contain him. Uh, their belief and the structure of their belief is such, they believe that God is everywhere. They believe that God is all-knowing. But it was in their hearts to build a house to represent the dwelling place of the Lord. It was in their heart to do so. It started in King David. And King David, the second king of Israel, uh, he, he desires to build a house for the Lord. And when he takes this desire to the Lord, um, if you read the text, which we won't do for time's sake today, but you almost get the sense of the Lord is like, huh, interesting, a house for me. And the Lord says things back to David along the lines of, huh, I don't really need a house. Um, uh, you know, I'm everywhere in all things. I'm not sure that I need a, a house. And David is like, no, I built myself a house. And if I built myself a house, the least I can do is build you a house. And the Lord, uh, it almost, the text almost reads in the form of a, uh, a type of communication between them where David has a desire for the Lord. And the Lord considers and then he decides to allow this to happen. And he tells David, I want you to begin the preparation for this house. I want you to gather the materials. Uh, uh, however, your son Solomon is going to build this house, and his son Solomon does build this house. Uh, they have multi-generational effort of gathering the best materials. Solomon has some of the uh, success in terms of trade and commerce and the rise of a powerful nation that can afford a grand building. And so Solomon is able to build this house. And Solomon, he then dedicates this house to the Lord in this passage, Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 6. And I'm telling you this story for a reason, so just, just consider it uh, with me. And uh, Solomon then, having spent many years and uh, gathered uh, the wealth of the nation and the, the, the craftsmen and the carpenters of the nation and built the most beautiful edifice possible unto the Lord. They now are dedicating that to the Lord. So imagine this scene. Solomon is going to lead all the house of Israel in prayer, a dedication prayer, and there are 120 priests there that are going to fulfill the ministry of uh, this house. Now, in that time, that included uh, particular ways of worship. 
It included particular ways of sacrifice. It included various uh, methods of symbolic cleaning, symbolic purification, symbolic requests for covering and mercy. All of that is part of how they ministered first to the Lord and secondly, how they ministered to the people. And so these priests are ready to minister, 120 of them. And Solomon begins to pray this prayer. And if you read at verse number 18, he, he asks God this question that is true to the faith of the Jews, true to the theology of the patriarchs that have given them uh, this way, this spiritual um, right path. He says this, is it true that God will live with man on earth? Is this true? Could it be that the great God who dwells in realms beyond and in realms above, could it be that this great God would, as it were, condescend to come and dwell on this earth, this place of competition, this place of, let's be honest, no small strife, this place of hatred, brother warring against brother, you understand. Is it true that God could dwell here? And he says this, and this is, again, true to his theology, true to the inheritance of the law, uh, the prophets given to him through the scripture. See, heaven and the highest heaven cannot hold you. Even the heavens cannot hold you. How much less can this house hold you which I have built? I want you to see that Solomon is not making an idol of the house. This is important. He's not elevating the house to the level of God. He is letting the house remind the people of who God is. Uh, this is important. Uh, it is, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment. It is possible for us to uh, use that which God has used in the manner or to see it as though that which God has used is God rather than something that God has used. This always scripturally leads to idolatry. And you can see the house of Israel make this mistake where God uses something miraculously and then they worship that as an idol rather than letting it be something that God has used. Uh, that's why we don't exalt humanity. God can use humanity, but uh, we're don't, we don't worship a preacher. We don't worship a Bible teacher. We don't worship a church. There is only one who is worthy of worship, and that is God Almighty. And let the church say amen. And so Solomon says, how much less can this house I have built for you hold you? You're going to overflow this house. Uh, and this is what's amazing to me. God overflows all things. God always intended to overflow uh, the houses that would contain him. Uh, it is always God's intention uh, to overflow the place of his hosting. In the New Testament, we are recipients of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to overflow the house that contains him. His spirit should be in you like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. All right. So we want to be a spirit-filled church. Uh, we are very much uh, known as that. And so I want to take a moment and talk about this. I'm going to use some of the notes we use in our First Steps class. If you have not been through First Steps and you would like to get to know the pastoral team, you would like to get to know uh, our church culture, and you would like a small group format where we can get to know each other, you can know me, I can know you, um, I would encourage you to attend our First Steps. Four lessons today, for example, we're on lesson number two. You can start at any time. They are designed where... Uh, you don't have to go one through four. You can go two to two. <laughs> uh, you get the idea. And so uh, in this class, we try to deal with this issue of what is a spirit-filled church. We want people to enjoy being a part of a spirit-filled church. We uh, admit there might be moments that it's louder than some churches you have attended. That's okay. Um, we want you, however, to relax. And we know because we once perhaps were in your shoes uh, that in order to relax with it, you have to understand it. And so 
Uh, these are some of the notes. You can download them, the notes I'm preaching from, but these are some of the notes we used in lesson number three, um, understanding and enjoying a spirit-filled church. So let's start first with what the world thinks a spirit-filled church is. If you look at Wikipedia, you'll find some version of the following definition. Spirit-filled Christianity is a form of Christianity that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's pretty right. Spiritual gifts. Amen. That's, that's pretty right. And modern-day miracles as a part of every believer's life. Amen. They did pretty good. Who would have thunk it? They didn't even mess that up. Um, uh, practitioners, uh, worshipers, attendees, members of spiritual churches are often called, again, this is them saying, uh, often called Pentecostals, often called charismatic Christians, and or often called renewalists. A renewalist is just somebody that believes the gift of the Holy Spirit was not just for them, but it is renewed to the church now. If you're ever with someone and they're really formally talking about the Lord, you can smile with a small amount of uh, a pride and say, well, personally, I'm a renewalist. They won't know what you're talking about, but you will have been able to put them in their place. Very important for modern renewalists. Um, so all of these are labels. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with labels. Why? Uh, labels are good at organizing things. They're not good at understanding things. The result is the moment you label something, you're able to pretend you understand something you've only labeled. And so when people label a church Pentecostal, well, Pentecostal can mean many, many things. Um, it can be a super mega church or it can be snake handlers up in Appalachia. It can be both. Nobody knows exactly what it means, but I, I want you to know um, that there are no snakes allowed here at First Church. And the day y'all change that is the day I start another church. <laughs> you want to get rid of this preacher? Show up with a snake and we'll be starting a church down the road. <laughs> we'll leave you with the snakes. Uh, it might be where you fit. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just having fun. I love you. <laughs> Um, labels make you think you understand something that you've only labeled. And so whether it's renewalist or classical Pentecostal or uh, charismatic or Pentecostal, um, this all are labels. And I, I often hate the fact that people label us and then are done with us because here's the reality about this church. We don't fit very well with the labels that most people place on us. We don't fit very well. Uh, there are some labels you would put on us that you would think, oh, that church is going to be real judgmental. Uh, they're going to look at me and they're going to not accept me. But I, I would say to the person who thinks that, um, give us a shot. You'll be shocked at how much love there is here uh, in this house. And not only that, you'll be shocked at how many people are worse than you and they're still coming to church here. So you might as well come anyway. <laughs> Uh, on the other hand, there's people who they hear our labels and they think we're crazy and uh, they're all the time going to have mystical, strange things over at that church. And I, I, I would say um, if you would just give us a chance, you might be surprised at just how orderly we are and just how well we take care of people who are a little bit uncomfortable and just how careful the pastoral team is and the, 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 the leadership team is at trying to make people feel at home and uh, trying to gently introduce people to anything they're not comfortable with. Uh, and to the person um, who is on the flip side of that, and you think, oh, that we're just, uh, you know, we are just charismatic and we don't believe anything, I want you to know um, you're one of very few people who think that, and compared to real people, you're nuts. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh, there is a lot of deep, deep committed people here at First Church, and there is a place for deep, deep commit, committed, consecrated people uh, here at First Church. Do you see how labels can mislead us? Labels can divide us. Labels can lead you to think that you are in some way finished when you haven't even begun. We don't want to be a label. Uh, we don't want to be a quote-unquote labeled church, and they say, oh, that's a Holy Ghost church. Now, uh, if you aren't from a certain religious background, you might be a little uncomfortable even using that phrase ghost because when you hear ghost, you think those people are crazy. Uh, they have a ghost in their house. Well, you are correct. Um, we actually do have a ghost in our house, and we wish you would get a ghost in your house. You could use one. <laughs> Not only that, I want a ghost in my house. I want a ghost 
in my car and I want a, a ghost in my life and both my kids need the ghost really, really bad. What am I talking about? We need the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. And so um, I want you to see, however, that labeling a church is, is not really uh, a good way to understand uh, the path that the church is taking. Some people think of uh, spirit-filled churches as churches that are focused primarily on spiritual experience, almost as an end unto itself. And I, I want to confess to you that um, there has been excesses. Uh, particularly in the realm of spiritual gifts. There has been excesses uh, in some churches. The New Testament teaches us how to do things that are appropriately spiritual and also have the order of a service where normal people uh, are able to be a part of the spiritual life of a church. Um, if you go to a church and it is so, every piece of the service is so spiritual, uh, that ordinary people don't know how to connect, um, then you aren't hosting the people who aren't at the place of spiritual maturity that perhaps some people in that church are. So Paul deals with this, and he talks to the church, particularly at Corinth, that is a very spiritual church, and he reminds them that they're not the only ones in the service, and it's not enough for them to edify themselves. They need to worry that their friends, guests, and visitors are edified also, and that the service needs to not just be vertical, and it doesn't just need to be ministering one to another, but it needs to bring into completeness all of these things. So the new believer can grow, the strong believer can be renewed, and uh, the mature person uh, can be empowered. Because the ultimate goal is not for us to enjoy. The ultimate goal is for us to take this anointing uh, into a desert to take this spiritual water into a parched land. And so we want, as a church, to have this right blend of the spiritual and uh, this right blend of approachable. We don't want to just be a highway where if you're not going 100 miles an hour, you're going to get ran over. Uh, we want to be a highway that has on-ramps that people can kind of get up to speed before you blow by them going 100 miles an hour and uh, like, uh, you know, Bishop does sometimes, uh, like he used to before he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Um, all right, so our goal is not spiritualism for the sake of spiritualism. Our goal is not mysticism for the sake of uh, mysticism. Um, we want to emphasize this very clear thing. We find our hope and our promise in Jesus, not in spiritualism. Our spirituality is a path to Jesus. It does not exist as its own thing. Other word, otherwise, it becomes an idol unto itself, and people see demons and see angels but don't seek Jesus. That's not what we're going for here. Spirituality is a path to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, John chapter number 16, verse number 14, that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify him, glorify Jesus, for he, the Holy Spirit, shall take of mine and shall disclose it, disclose it to you. What are we talking about? Holy Spirit, the realm of the Spirit, seeking after spiritual things, is not at the exception of Jesus. It is the way to Jesus. Can I have an amen? When Jesus teaches in John chapter number 15, he says, when the helper or the parakletos or the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. What is the Holy Ghost doing? It is leading you to Jesus. It is not spiritualism for its own sake. It's not demons and angels and visions and blue clouds and smoking skeletons or anything else you dream up. I'm here to tell you it should lead you to Jesus. It is not enough to feel you need to meet Jesus. It's not enough to talk in tongues. Uh, you need to meet Jesus. 
if you can have tongues every Sunday and live like the devil Monday through Saturday, you have an idol, not any evidence. Oh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting fired up now. Next thing you know, I'm going to be offending people. And then what do you know? It's going to be another ordinary Sunday. Spiritual, being spiritual does not mean we're spiritual for the sake of spirituality. It does not mean we're mystical for the sake of mysticism. It does not mean we're prophetic for the sake of prophecy. These things testify about Jesus Christ. And so to understand what we mean by spirit field, we have to go to the book of Acts. And it's on this day of the beginning of the church where you see a few things that happens. You see people of faith have a personal testimony of spiritual experience like all, I want all these young people on this front row to have. And all these young people over here, y'all really need it a little bit more than those. No, actually, I think they need it more than y'all now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, But you have people have a personal experience of the power of the Spirit on one hand. Then you have a preacher who will give a message that testifies of what has happened. It is a testimony that this moment is a fulfillment of something written by the prophet Joel. And unto you, your sons and your daughters, he is saying this promise is given, the spirit is given, and this prophetic insight of stammering lips in another tongue, it is given to all of you. He is given a preacher, a preacher's testimony of what has happened, but there's more that is here. God is giving a testimony of his own. Now, to hear the testimony, you need to listen to the personal witness of the people who are filled with the spirit. To hear the word of the preacher, you need to read the message that the preacher gives in Acts chapter number 2, which he sums up by saying uh, quite famously, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus. Why? The remission of your sins, and you shall receive what? The Holy Spirit with the speaking of tongues in your life. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, now... Having given you that understanding, I want you to see in your life, you will have the testimony of personal experience, that is you having a sign in your life of God filling the house. My title this today is The House Won't Hold Them. God filling the house, do you see? That's you. You're also going to have the testimony of fulfilled prophecy that is shown through the preaching of the preachers, first Peter, but also and later other speakers, other preachers, preaching, giving this promise of God as sermon, preaching, teaching, and then seeing it given as personal testimony to the people who receive it. But I want to show you God's own testimony. How does God testify of himself? Same from Old Testament to New. He does it with symbol, sign, and parable. You will see the fulfillment of these things from Genesis to Revelation. So back to these, this moment, 120 people are gathered in an upper room, and they're seeking the promise of the Father. They are praying, asking that they would personally be filled with power They want to tarry until they are endued. That's a King Jamesian word for filled up. Filled up and overflowing with Holy Ghost power. That's what they're looking for, do you see? And they're praying and they're seeking. This isn't the first time this has happened. Remember the building of the house I told you about, Solomon had built? On that day, there are 120 priests gathered. And what are they going to do? They're going to minister to the people at this inaugural, inaugural moment of worship to the Lord, dedication of this house to the Lord. They are prepared to worship. How do they do that? In the manner of the worship of the time. And Solomon's praying, and he's asking the Lord this question. Uh, will you dwell with men? Is it true that God will live with man on earth? Heaven and the highest heaven cannot hold you. How much less can this house that I have built hold you? Here's the thing. He prays the prayer, and God answers the prayer, answers the question, which is yes, God will dwell with man. 
How does God signify fire fall? Somebody say fire. Fire. Fire falls in this house dedicated unto the Lord. What happens to the priests? They cannot minister. In other words, where before their words were comprehensible, suddenly they have no more words. Where before they had things they were doing, now it's almost as though somebody had a drinking party at the temple, and now they are unable to minister so moved in their emotions, in their inner being. They're so moved, they're unable to minister. Now, this is a sign. On the day of Pentecost, what's going to happen? It's also 120 priests, and on this same day, they're asking the same question. Will God dwell with man? We know Jesus dwelt with us. We know that he walked with us. But will God dwell with us? And again, what happens? God answers by fire. There came a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues of fire began to manifest upon them. And they all began to speak with other tongues. Praise God, somebody. Anybody here ever spoke with other tongues? Anybody here a personal testimony of the power of God filling you? I'm here to tell you it is the sign of God filling the house he has built. You see, let me point out to you something you may not have realized. When David proposes building a house, the text reads almost as though God has to think about it. Huh, okay, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, because the reality is God had already built dwelling place. He had built from the clay of the ground, Adam and Eve, and he had breathed in them the breath of life. They were his dwelling place. He was going to be with them and in them. Sin ended that, and he would not leave the house unfinished. He would not leave the work uncomplete. When they failed at righteousness, he said, I will be your righteousness. When they failed at being a pure in heart, he said, I will be purity for you. When they failed at holiness, he said, I will be your holiness. When they fall in sin, he says, I will live a righteous life for you. He has built the house and nothing's going to stop him from moving in. The reason why the Holy Spirit has been working in some of your lives is because God wants to move in. He formed you. He fashioned you. He intended you at, from the beginning as the dwelling place of God. And he's going to not stop knocking on the door of your heart. Why are you knocking on my heart? Because I want to live in my house. Why are you knocking on my heart door? Because I want to live in my house. I built you. I ordered you. I fashioned you. I have a big investment in you. And I'm here to stay. Knock, 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 knock. This is my house. I'm moving in. Mm. I know I'm doing good when I got Sister Venice shouting, praise God. My Lord, we're about to get powerful around here. You notice Don never likes my preaching enough to shout, Sister Venice. Mm, praise God, somebody in the sanctuary. God is knocking at your heart door. Why? He wants to move into his house. Now, let me tell you the truth about that. He is bigger than you. And he is bigger than the house he has built. And you'll know you have him on the inside when he starts overflowing on the outside. If he's not overflowing the house, maybe he hasn't moved in yet. Because the house, <laughs> the house cannot hold him. He was always going to overflow the house. And so they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to point out something to you. Tongues, as you have heard me say a lot, because it's important, it's highly, highly important 
to see this. Tongues is a sign of the Spirit of the Lord. It's a sacred symbol in the same manner as water baptism, in the same manner as the Lord's Supper. Tongues is a sacred symbol. Tongues is not the Holy Spirit. Tongues is a sacred symbol of the Holy Spirit. This is very, very important because otherwise we end up, as I said earlier, with idolatry, not evidence. And what we're looking for is evidence of God's Spirit in our lives and in our hearts. And can the church say amen? And so uh, I want you to see that as they in this moment are filled and out of them flows this anointing, there's so many symbols that are tied into this moment. I say this because I want all of you to see uh, that the New Testament cannot be dreamt up by 12 uh, blue-collar workers who had an experience with uh, a local teacher. It doesn't work because in this moment comes this prophetic threading that's going to go all the way back to the giving of the Word of God, the giving of the law. And in Moses, he has uh, the voice of God that gives him insight. Uh, into the generations before. It is Moses who writes of Abraham. It is Moses uh, who writes of the Garden of Eden. It is Moses uh, who gives us the first five books of, of the Bible, and he, he receives the word of the Lord. And uh, this, this, this moment is so important uh, to see that the word of the Lord given to Moses, and Moses writes it down. Now, in Jewish tradition, I don't have a lot of time to go deep on this. You guys know sometimes I like to nerd out on this stuff. So just give me a moment of uh, nerddom and then we'll get back uh, on track. But in Jewish tradition, uh, the nations are represented by 70. Uh, 70 is uh, uh, you take the number of completion and you raise it by an order of magnitude and you get 70. And this sim- symbolizes the nations of the world. And so Uh, In Hebrew teaching, if you read uh, the Midrash in uh, sacred, or or shall I say, uh, the writings of faith would be a better way to say it, of uh, the Hebrews, um, you'll read of how the Tower of Babel is signified when the the languages are split. There's 70 languages that is, is split into, and these symbolically go out to include all of the host all of the house of Israel. And so it is that this day of Pentecost is also the day where in the worship system of the Jews, they do a sacrifice for all the Gentile nations. And they offer 70 bulls symbolically as sacrifice for all the Gentiles. And it's on this same day uh, that the Holy Ghost is going, the, going to be given. And so the word of the Lord goes forth, and it is as a foundation stone. It is, it is symbolized as the stone, uh, the rock foundation, the word of God upon which we build. But that same word is then sent to the nations. It's as though you took that foundation stone of the word of God and you shattered it into 70 pieces and you send it to the nations. Now, this isn't my image. This isn't something I made up. This is Jewish, Hebrew, uh, rabbinical thought and idea. Uh, This, again, is symbol. This is not a literal theology. It is symbol of something where God word is then shattered to the nations. And so it is that all of these sacred symbols come together on the day of Pentecost because you have 120 priests gathered together and they're all seeking to answer this question of will God dwell with men? And they are in one place asking that God would endue them with his presence and power. And how does God answer from the beginning, he answers by fire. And whether it's the Solomon Temple of Solomon or whether it is the upper room, fire falls and they speak. But they speak as though it were you take the foundation stone word of God and you shatter it to the nations. I'm nerding out, I know, but I enjoy it so you all have to suffer. and You can get mad at me later. But it's as though you take this, and even though you don't know how it can change them, it changes them anyway. Even though you don't know how this truth is going to impact with a people, an ethnicity, a tribe, you have no connection with them. And it is as though this 
word is shattered into pieces to all the nations. Even there, they can hear it in a way you never dreamt that they could hear it. And it changes them in a way you never dreamt that it could change them. And in this sacred day, on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given and the tongues go forth as a sign, what you see on this day is the personal experience of people receiving their own experience of God in the house. Everything starts with repentance and confession. This is important. I want you to understand this. There are uh, some churches at times that because of their fear of false doctrine, they want to de-emphasize the importance and the power of confession. I want you to avoid that. The Bible talks a lot about confession. Uh, there is multiple passages, multiple apostles that talk about confession. I want to show you why that is so important. Repentance is turning away, but what are you turning toward? You cannot simply turn away. I've not been doing right. You need to turn toward something. And so in your flesh, you pursue, what does Paul say? The things of the flesh. What does repentance do? You repent from this direction. You've got to go another direction. But there's a million ways to sin. There's a million paths of wickedness. What are we turning toward? This is the necessary importance, the necessary work of confession in your life. You're saying not that, but Jesus. You're saying, if I am going to be whole, it's going to happen through Jesus. You're saying, if my life is going to be put back together again, it's going to happen through Jesus. Repentance is turning away from something, not that. But what are you turning toward? You could choose yoga as your life path. Some people do. You could choose, you get the idea, some heathenistic inheritance. Some people do. You could choose positive mental attitude as your humanistic salvation. Some people do. It's not enough to turn away. What are you turning toward? Here we make confession. I am turning toward Jesus. If I'm ever going to be whole, it's going to be because Jesus made me whole. If I'm ever going to be made right, it's going to be because Jesus made me right. Not that, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. This is not the first experience that the children of Israel, or let me say that differently with better clarity. This is not the first experience that the disciples have with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this also is important to understand, even though it is often kind of, uh, as it were, rushed past. First of all, Jesus did everything he did because God empowered him to do it. Jesus is the Son of God, the sanctified, righteous flesh. The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, and Jesus is born God cannot get tired. Jesus gets tired. Do you see? Jesus does what he does by the power of God, and the works he does is by God. The works the Holy Spirit does will testify of Jesus. There is three different understandings of God's work to us, for us, and through us, but there is only one God, and can the church say Amen. Jesus has already introduced them to uh, the presence of God. Jesus has been with them. This is not a separate God when the Holy Spirit is given. Uh, Jesus says, I will come to you. The form is different. The function is different. The manifestation is different, but it is still Jesus. Can I have a big amen? All right. This is not their first experience of the Spirit. Everything Jesus has done has been empowered and enabled by the Spirit. They've already seen the dead rise. They have already seen the storms stilled. They have already seen uh, the waters calmed. They have already seen Jesus walking on the water as though he were spirit form when he very clearly was not spirit form. They are already introduced to the spirit realm, and yet they have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit 
with evidence of speaking in tongues. Let me show you one other passage like this. John chapter number 20, verse number 21. Jesus says to them, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now again, if you have a certain uh, background or uh, religious inheritance, this scripture has always perhaps made you uncomfortable uh, and you kind of maybe wondered if, you know, it was something that you should ignore. I know lots of people that ignore this scripture. I just want to say uh, here at First Church, we're not in the business of ignoring scripture. We assume, <laughs> we assume that Paul, did, excuse me, that John did not make a mistake when he put it in there. We assume that we made the mistake when we ignored it. <laughs> That's just how we roll. So what is happening here? And I want you to see, and this is intentional in the scripture, I want you to see the power of a personal testimony. I want you to see the power of you knowing God is with you. It's no longer just something you wish, hope, and desire, but you have become the temple of the Holy Ghost. They have already been introduced to the spiritual reality of an eternal God. Somebody say yes. They have already seen the dead raised. Somebody say yes. They have already seen the blind eyes open. Somebody say yes. They have already seen the manifest, the transformation of Jesus on the mountaintop. They have seen, they have experienced, they have been all around it. They have the testimony of others, but what they need is the testimony of themselves. And in John chapter number 20, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Watch this. But a few scriptures later, they're still afraid. A few scriptures later, they still deny Jesus. A few scriptures later, they still hide and leave Jesus to be taken away. They're still hesitant. They're still discouraged. This is in spite of the fact that Jesus has spiritually in a significantly symbolic manner, breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. But on the day of Pentecost, it is not something that happens to someone else for them. It is something that happens to them for someone else. I know I'm messing with some of you guys' brain here, but I, I want you to see when you have an experience in your life that is not simply an observance of what God can do, but is a testimony of what God can do, it transforms you from being fearful to being bold. It transforms you from hiding to being on the street corner, and on the day of Pentecost, they are transformed. What is the difference? I'm going to tell you. Personal experience of the giving of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is why you need an experience with God. It's not enough to come to a spirit-filled church. It's not enough to let someone else be blessed by it. It's not enough to let someone else be the spiritual type. You need to have your own experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's for you. It's the gift of God. You ought to receive it. Can I have a big amen? On the day of Pentecost, these people who once were afraid, hesitant, etc., they now are transformed. Even when they're persecuted, they continue without being silenced or stopped. They are filled with holy boldness. They are unified in spiritual purpose. This transforms them. Be wary, wary of people who claim the spirit, but they don't have any transform, transformation in their nature. You see, transformation should be in your nature. All right, moving along. Uh, they are now generous with their communities. Transformation of nature. They are now ethnically and racially inclusive. The church is perhaps the very first institution of any religious form that I'm aware of that celebrates racial and ethnic inclusiveness. And any church that doesn't do that, they, uh, they need to work hard at changing that. 
if I went to a church and the only people who felt comfortable there was people who looked like me, talked like me, voted like me, I would wonder whether or not if I was preaching Jesus or preaching me. It is possible to preach who we are rather than who Jesus is. And so I'm glad I've never been a part of a church like that. I've preached at a few of them, but don't worry. They ran me off as soon as they could, which was fine. They were good at running people off, and I wanted to leave anyway. So um, I want you to see they become transformed. They're now generous with their communities. They no longer live for self. They now live to serve. They are now no longer divisive. Uh, You stay over here and you stay over here. They are now ethnically and racially inclusive. And next, they personally testify, experience, and witness divine power, physical healing, and spiritual authority. And they demonstrate that authority. How? Through the name of Jesus. Before Pentecost, they are ineffective. After Pentecost, they are effective. Before Pentecost, they're fearful. After Pentecost, they're bold. Before Pentecost, they're insecure. After Pentecost, you can't scare them with lions. What's the difference? Well, see what happens. Peter was a denier, but Peter will become a proclaimer. What's the difference? He opened the heart door and he had the power of God move into the house. God has built a house. He designed you when you were in your mother's womb. He designed your gifts. He designed your talents. God has built for himself a house. And he stands at your heart door and he knocks. He wants to move into the house that he has built. And if you'll quit fighting with him and you'll let him move in, I'm here to tell you, you will be his creation, not yours. Well, praise God, dearly beloved, as we continue with our serious Bible study here. You need the testimony of God taking up residence in your house. It's going to change you. It's going to change your family. It's going to change the church you are a part of. Let me give you very quickly, and I I didn't have time in the 9 a.m., but you guys made the mistake of coming to the 11, and I, I preached longer in the 11 because half of you missed the worship. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. And since y'all missed the worship um, uh, and the team worked hard and y'all came in late, God forgive you. I mean, it's just really slipping around here. Even Bishop and Bishop S. came in late to worship today. I don't even know how this can be the true church anymore. So I'm going to have to preach longer because y'all missed worship. Somebody say, get me. That was the most pitiful agreement I've ever heard in my life here at the church. Spirit-filled churches, as a result, have it. I'm almost done. In fact, musicians, you can come and play something about how the preacher needs to hurry up and come to a close, and that'll encourage all the colonel people who's here today. So, um, all right. So, spirit-filled churches um, have certain signs that follow them. Um, here, here, here's the first one you might be surprised to know, and if you download the notes, I have all of these in your notes. I also give them out in our First Steps class uh, if you've been through that. Um, uh, One of the first things you notice about spirit-filled churches is they are persecuted churches. Um, There's a lot of people who are looking for reasons to attack them or hurt them. Uh, That is a range. Some of it is just people. Some of it is spiritual. But uh, spirit-filled churches tend to be persecuted uh, churches. There's a lot of churches you can join, and there's a chance that the devil won't fight you. But if you join a spirit-filled church... Uh, the enemy is going to try to fight you. It's not my opinion. There's Bible to this. You can read Acts 4. You can read Acts 8. And there is more. Spirit-filled churches, however, even though they're persecuted, they learn how to suffer joyously. And they learn how to suffer courageously. And they learn how to suffer victoriously. Acts 5, Stephen in Acts 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Spirit-filled churches are also praying and fasting churches. People who are seeking after the will of God, seeking God's guidance, seeking God's glory. We all need to pray more and we all need to fast more. Can I have a big amen? 
spirit-filled churches biblically always have church. They are always churches of diversity. And the diversity is a result of a moving of the spirit, even in times of difficulty and persecution. Ephesians 4, Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 15, John 17. You get the idea. There is diversity that is a result not of politics, God save us, but the result of the moving of the Spirit. Spirit-filled churches are always generous churches. They are filled with desire to help people. They're filled with desire to make a difference in people's life. Uh, Spirit-filled churches always have a sense of boldness and authority, not for purposes of being rude. That is how to lose friends and anger people, but for the purposes of being authentic. People will forgive you a lot when they know that's who you are. But people have almost no tolerance for you the moment they sense you're faking, fronting, or acting. The moment it feels fake, they have a lot less tolerance for anything that you are. Uh, I could do a whole sermon on that and give you examples from modern culture. But I'm not going to do that right now. I know you're very, very disappointed. Uh, But I will give you some more examples. Um, Spirit-filled churches are powerful witnesses to the life-changing work of Jesus Christ shown through the resurrection. The old has become new. And through this process, we are made into new creatures in Christ Jesus. Spirit-filled churches are scripturally, scripturally focused and they build their values upon scriptural uh, foundations. Uh, spirit-filled churches are composed of people who recognize their desperate need for supernatural power in their life. They have a deep craving for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their life. Spirit-filled churches speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spirit-filled churches <laughs> sing joyfully from the heart to exalt the Lord because they are pure in heart. Spirit-filled churches are churches that where people are filled with thanksgiving. They are people of gratitude because they know no matter how big it gets, God has already done so much for them that if he does nothing else ever again, they've already won the spiritual lottery. They are blessed. They are favored. Um, Spirit-filled churches seek to be reconciled by preferring one another. Uh, Carnal churches will exclude you if you do not agree with them. Spirit-filled churches will seek to reconcile to you without changing who they are. That doesn't make them weaker in their faith. It makes them stronger. Why? They believe what they believe because of Scripture, not because they're in a club that only allows it. Some fine insight right there. I wish someone would have said amen with a little more vigor. But that's all right. You, Some of you people need to drink more coffee before you come to church. Spirit-filled churches surrender one to another. They surrender their rights one to another. And they do so in the fear of Christ. And they're quick to forgive because after all, when you think what God's done for them, the least they can do is forgive a crook like you. That doesn't mean you can take advantage of them. They're wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Anyway, moving along. Supernatural churches engage in spiritual warfare. That means there's things we pray against. That means we pray in the stead of other people who don't know how to pray. That's what the first stage of spiritual warfare always looks like. It always looks like intercession. The first stage of spiritual warfare always looks like intercession. In fact, picking up your cross is the process of turning away from me and turning to thee. Spirit-filled churches experience the, the power of God by seeing people drawn to it. Uh, Spirit-filled people attract outsiders by exalting Jesus. Spirit-filled churches do not depend upon their great resources, but upon God's unfathomable riches. Spirit-filled churches are not trying to make a name for themselves, but they're trying to exalt what God has done, the name above all names. Churches, spirit-filled churches are radical, but not fanatical. Or maybe you could say it if you want to backwards. But the point I'm trying to make is this. 
we are in love with God, but we don't have to kill anybody because we love Him. We are in love with God, but we don't have to hate anybody in order to love Him better. Not only that, we want the best of God for us, but we want the best of God for you too. Spirit-filled churches are places of joy, supernatural joy, not a joy that makes sense, not a joy where you can smile if everything's going right, but a joy that says no matter what's going wrong, God's going to make everything all right. And finally, spirit-filled churches are churches filled with people who are transformed into the things the Bible says should be the evidence of real spiritual regenerating life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I know you won't be excited about it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, self-control. How do I receive? the gift of God in my life. So, a few things. First of all, I want you to start with repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. Not that, Jesus. Not sin, Jesus. Not the way I want, the way Jesus has ordained. I'm turning from something and to something. Then, I want you to celebrate spiritual adoption by taking on the name of Jesus as a sign that you are no longer a spiritual orphan. This also is a sacred sign in your life to celebrate in this realm in which we live something that happened in the spiritual realm which we only see through faith. That's baptism, spiritual adoption, remission of sins. And then, here is the most simple way I can make it. I want you to become a worshiper. I want you to become a worshiper. If you will become a worshiper, you will never have a problem being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. How do I know that? Well, the Bible teaches us that there is this invitation we send to heaven when we praise and exalt him. It's as though we open our heart and we say, we're open for business down here if you'd like to stop by and stay in our homes. We would like to host you. Worship is how earth hosts heaven. And if you will become a worshiper, I want you to know it's not just a Sunday thing. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing too. I am a worshiper. If you will become a worshiper, it will be easy for you to have a personal experience of the Lord filling you with His Spirit and giving you the evidence of tongues in your life. Why? You are a worshiper. But if you always hold yourself back from becoming a worshiper and you only seek to know God through your mind of understanding, it'll be much more difficult because knowledge is not an invitation to the presence of the Lord. But worship is an invitation to heaven. Those of you watching this, wherever you're watching this from, I want to say to you, you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your own home. You can receive, even if you're not local to us, we'll help you, we'll connect you with the church. More, you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your home. You need repentance and confession. Not this, Jesus. You then need to become a worshiper. At some point, we want to help you get baptized in that name that's above every name. And we can do that. Just communicate with us. I know some of you do. Just communicate. We'll help you with that. We'll connect you in some way. But this is what I want to say. Right where you are, you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can be a worshiper in your home. You say, I don't know where to start. What is the biggest source of pain in your life? You need to make him Lord of that. What is the most broken story you've survived? You need to take that story and give it to God. What is the source of the deepest wound you've ever survived? You need to take this and make the Lord Lord of that wound. You take that and you give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you bring it. And when the, if you do that, you'll know because you'll get emotional. As long as you're just being, Lord, I need this, I need this, you won't be emotional. But when you take the deepest wound of your life and you give it to God, you'll feel tears start to, you know, there'll be a piece of dust in your eye, you know what I'm talking about, and you'll start feeling the emotions. That's how you know you've taken the most broken part of yourself, the deepest wound, the greatest heart, uh, uh, greatest wound in your heart, and you give that. You make him Lord of that. And when you do that, you will break inside. You will break inside. 
you are truly surrendered now. And in that brokenness is going to come the Word of God. In that brokenness, oh, how I feel the presence of the Lord right now. I hope you do wherever you're watching this. In that brokenness is going to come the Word of God. And the prophet Joel said it's going to be like stammering lips. That is a very specific image where you don't know why you want to do it, but there is this disorder to all your order. It's stammering lips. It doesn't have the sound of language. It's just stammering lips. But I want you to know, Joel says that's just as much a sign of the Holy Ghost as though it sounded like a language. It's stammering lips and another tongue. You see the progression? You see how it can begin almost as an act of faith and surrender in your life? You've given God the most deep part of your soul. It has broken you to take them out of the closet and lay them as a surrender before the Lord. But you've done it. And now the emotions are, you won't get here without worship. I'll just be honest with you. But if you do this now, upon you comes utterance and unction and stammering lips. As you surrender, it could very well feel much more like language than stammer. But it's going to start with stammer. If you stop it at stammer, you'll never get to language. You've got to let the stammer go. You've got to surrender that tongue that the Bible says no man can tame. God's going to tame it. You're going to surrender it to God. If you're here today and you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, let me be... Let me, let, me, let me be real honest. I know uh, you may be here and you may be, you, I'm always amazed at how many people who don't want to do it in front of uh, 200 people staring at them. Uh, one of the greatest fears I, I've learned uh, in human nature is the fear of losing emotional control in front of a lot of people you don't know. I didn't realize that is a top 10 human fear, but uh, that is a top 10 human fear. First thing I want to say, if you're going to do it anywhere, the church is the best place to do it. <laughs> if you're going to really just let go and let God, yeah, the church is the best place to do it. Because let me tell you a secret, everybody here has already done it. <laughs> uh, we're comfortable with it. But I, I want to say this, I want to say this to you. If you will repent, if you will confess, if you will follow in his way, take on his name, if you will become a worshiper, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. I am as sure as that as I am as sure of anything in my life. We as a team will help you and assist you. If you're uncomfortable doing it in front of, you know, 200 people staring at you, I want you to know we will come to you. We will have events for you. We will do a special prayer time for you. We'll do a small group for you. We want you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because this is what I've learned I'm going to tell you about some things about you you didn't know I know this but I know this about you a lot of you pretend like you got it because you don't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody but honey you ain't got it yet not the way I want you to get it anyway. I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't work on you and through you and all that. I believe that. Holy Ghost will work on you before you even come to faith. Holy Ghost will convict you in the middle of your sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. I, if we need to create a place where you can relax, let us help you. It is the most powerful thing you will experience as personal testimony. I'm not who I used to be. And you need the testimony because when the enemy attacks you, you need to be able to say to the enemy, you can't lie to me. I have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. I was there when it happened, and I guess I ought to know. Stand with me all across the house. If you've, all, if you've already been vaccinated or you've already had the, 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 the sickness that shall not be named and you're comfortable, I'd like, you to, I'd like to invite you just to step out of the pew you're in, step out and make your way down toward the front. We're an altar culture church and we're going to keep that. And if you're comfortable, I want you to step out. If you're not comfortable, we're glad you're here. You can stay where you are. But everybody who's comfortable, I, I want you to help us maintain apostolic culture where we don't just observe but we participate do you see what we're doing here we don't just observe but we participate i'm going to pray right now all across the church those of you with needs i'd like you to step out and come to the front our pastoral team's going to be down here those of you who are uh you want to stay where you are that's fine uh, we get it. We understand. You're welcome to. I want to pray over all of you right now. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for all the people who are here. I'm praying for the individuals who are watching this wherever they are watching this 
in the city, in the nation, in the world. Lord, I'm praying right now that you would work among your people. I'm praying that we would see the outpouring of the Spirit as a sign of your presence among us. Will the Lord dwell with men? You've already answered that question. Will you dwell with us? You've already answered that question. Will you fill this house? You've already answered that question. Will you fill this house? You've already answered that question. Not only were you, will you fill it, but you will overflow it. And Lord Jesus, we're asking that you would overflow us. As a church, oh God, we're asking you to overflow us. This house of believers, overflow this house of believers, oh God. I'm believing that somebody would receive the Holy Spirit in their own home today. I pray they would take the, 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 the biggest pains of their life and they would lay them at the altar, God. Right in their kitchen, I pray they would take the biggest wounds and they would bow their head and they would lay it at the altar. And they can't do that without the emotion of it working within them. And then, Lord, you're going to use that emotion. You're going to use that moment where they're pushed beyond their own uh, hindrance of, of overthinking it. And they're going to allow themselves to begin to surrender to your unction in their heart and in their life. God, I'm praying that all around our metro area, all around the nation and world, people be, would be filled with your presence uh, for the sake of glorifying your name, fulfilling your promise, dwelling with mankind. Be with your people, I pray, oh God. That's right, church. Somebody right now, call upon the name of the Lord. Lift your voice in this house. Speak the name of Jesus over somebody. Proclaim his name in this place. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.